Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. If you are tuning in now, you already know what to expect. Joining me today, Tesfaun Boucher. We'll have an amazing conversation about forecast. One of the number one questions I get every day is, what's the best forecasting method? How can I improve my outcomes? And this is how you get the answer to those questions. Stay with us. Feeling good? Uh-huh. Yes. Okay, amazing. So, Tesfam, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, for everyone that doesn't know, I've been following your work for the last, at, le at least the last 12 months. Uh, that's when I really got, uh, you got you, uh, in touch with you. You have been doing a lot of good work for the workforce management community. I have to say, not only being recognized by different institutions being recognized for, I think, by everyone that consumes your work because your blog is one of the most popular we have on our WFM page. Uh, and I actually shared with my team recently your GitHub um, project on kind of ARIMA for demand forecasting, which I think is super interesting. And I re wanted really to start by one welcoming you here uh, today and just say thank you because I think it's a lot of good work. Uh, and we'll go there about the details, but Really, thank you uh, for for all the work you have been doing for for the community. How, how are you doing, Tesfan? <laughs> um, thank you, Andre. It's a great pleasure for me to be here. I'm a huge fan of VWFM, and the biggest part of the reasons I, I start, you know, writing blogs, doing all these uh, little things that I do is is VWFM. I I'm pretty new to this career, uh, but I think I have gone very deep into it already and it's mostly because of what you guys have been doing and i can't believe i'm having a podcast with you guys um yeah feeling good and I, let's go for it let's go so and thank you for for the words i think it's good to see that we are inspiring people which is the full concept behind this project so good and refreshing to see that so and, and you mentioned that and i think it's a good start like you said you are kind of new to this, this industry, uh, but even though you are really new, I think you have been making a good amount of impact across uh, so many different people. And I wanted to start maybe there with, with a question. So the question is, in a phrase, what does workforce management mean to you? But I wanted to know the answer now, and what does, did it mean when you actually started? Um, like everybody else, you know, we, we don't dream about becoming a workforce management person. Um, so it didn't mean anything to me when I started. I, I, I was just a new student, arrived from Ethiopia to Poland, needed a job. So I get um, a customer support job at Saitel in Poland. And then a year later, or maybe nine, eight months later, I, I get promoted for workforce management coordinator role. Um, I didn't know what they did. I, I knew some guys in that team made schedule for us um that's all i knew but then when this role came up I, I i was i think very good at math back then also they gave us some mathematical questions uh, some of them excel related and i was ready you know to solve all of them it was pretty easy and they were impressed with my my my, my ability to to do those and so they promoted me for that position not much training i just went direct into the job so I didn't know what workforce management meant back then. 
but I think I know by now. Uh, I have this very, you know, the definition of workforce management that I, uh, I heard from a lot of other people. I think I even found it in WWFM blogs. So it's about putting the right people at the right place, at the right time, mm-hmm. people with the right skills. Uh, this is a very wide, wide definition. And also really, really uh, encompasses, I think, most of the things that we do. Yeah, and it's very important for all businesses to run. Uh, and I think that puts us in a very, very important, significantly important position. I agree. I think normally the only thing I add to that common definition is enabling the right decision. Because many times you, you can make all the plans, make everything right, but then you need to make sure that you are supporting the business to go that extra mile. So I think the right decision is super important in, in the end. This is my personal uh, flavor uh, on top. Uh, and with that being said, so you you started um, like the majority of us probably in this, like we all start like either from the scheduling part or like the kind of the entry levels, which and then you, you grow in. So when did... And I'm assuming because you like Matt, uh, when did the kind of the forecast start getting like an appeal to you or when did you actually start working on forecasting? Um, so at, at my pre- my first job at Saitel as a workforce management co- coordinator, I was um, working for a BPO. Saitel has this BPO business, right? Um, so I didn't have to forecast. We, we get the forecast from some internal team of our client. So... Our job was mostly scheduling uh, and then doing some reports and some other people did real-time analysis, not me. But I moved to another role at Connectees where I also got involved with forecasting and capacity planning calculations. And I believe that's where I learned most of my my skills related to capacity planning and forecasting. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, my studies in data science, um, yeah, helped me a lot more than I learned there. Also empowers me, you know, introduced me to a lot of powerful tools and solutions that we have in the industry currently. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, 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 that, that's that's exactly where I got introduced to forecasting and capacity planning. At and and if you have to go back, when you started, like, how was it? Like, what, what kind of tools you had? Were you doing it on like, WFM software, Excel? Python, R, like what, what was the tools that you're using at the time? Um, so forecasting and capacity planning, we used Excel at Connectees. Mm-hmm. Um, but later I introduced R to the team. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, because I, I, I believe R is a really great uh, statistical tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's even more powerful than Python when it comes to those areas because basically it was created by econometricians and statisticians it's got really wonderful uh, packages which, which just do the job and i think it's also easy to learn uh, so i introduced this tool to the team not sure how far they went with it but i did you know a large part of my job with r and to this time i i, I prefer r to any other tool when it comes to you know creating yeah. forecasts and even doing capacity planning calculations it's a very Big debate. I, I think I, I I have I have people that actually work with R as well. I know, but I know people that work with Python. There is always this debate on which one is better and what. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think it's a huge step up from doing like the manual, the manual calculations. And I think that that introduces kind of like the the forecast team. And for everyone that is listening, so today we really with with Tesfan here, we really wanted to 
go deeper on forecast a bit like you have been publicly sharing your work um and i wanted to if you are okay explore that a bit so we all say in every single blog everything if you research online uh, on for uh, double fm cycles like it all start either with data analytics or forecasting because that's the base for you to understand the data points how do you kind of rate like from one to ten how critical a good forecast is uh, for the WFM cycle to work properly. And from that one to 10, how important it is in, in your view to actually invest in good forecasts for, for your clients? Um, I, I will give it 10 out of 10, but I also give every other part of WFM 10 out of 10, because one of them is broken, means that the whole chain is broken and nothing will work. But it all starts with forecast. Um, obviously, data analytics is a, as an input to, I mean, it's an input to, to, to forecasting and capacity planning uh, calculations that come later. But we can say that the first major part of WFM process is forecasting. Yeah, so it's very, very important. It's a critical part of WFM chain. Uh, and that's exactly why we need more and more data scientists, I think, for WFM role. Uh, because forecasting is not easy, you know. Because you you have to tell the future, uh, you have to tell the future sometimes, not knowing the past very well, uh, because mm-hmm. you may have a whole new role, new business to start, and you don't know how it's going to work. You don't have much support. You don't have many business decisions uh, that will happen mm-hmm. in advance. You know, informed to you, but you, you you still have to forecast. You still have to forecast the volume that's going to come. You still have to forecast a lot of different behaviors of agents, how it's going to go. Um, yeah, but, but that takes from other things experience, but also a lot of technical skills. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that is, that's, that's exactly why we need to, you know, learn more and more techniques out there. But yeah, to answer your question, it, it's a very, very important part of it and deserves, um, I think, it's more than 10 out of 10. <laughs> I, I agree. You, know, you said something that I think it's it's a good question. So... Do you think that, to a certain extent, forecast is a bit of a lonely job? Because I agree with you, many times we don't have enough marketing information, we don't have enough data that allows us to predict the future. I mean, we have the past, which is as good as it can be, but there are, I can make a full decision that changes completely the future, and you might not be aware. So do you think that, to a certain extent, it's like a kind of a, you are alone trying to figure that out together? So it's more a lonely job than, for instance, planning or real-time management, because you are actually seeing something happen in forecasting, you are just guessing the future. Yes. And that's what they don't understand about it, right? Um, yeah. So they, they only ask you to forecast. They don't know how hard it is. And they, they still expect you to to be accurate with your forecast. That, that That's, I, I think you can feel lonely, like you say. <laughs> I, I used to say a lot that the first thing you can expect from a forecast is that it's going to be wrong. If you make that assumption in the beginning, then it, everything is much easier because you, then you are just, oh, how, how far am I from getting a good number? It's like, it's different from assuming it's always right. So I totally True. get To continue on what you what you were saying, I wanted to to ask, so I know we know it's a kind of a lonely job. We always need to guess the future. It's, it's not easy, but what kind of tips or tricks do you have for everyone that is forecasting, regardless if it's on Excel, whatever manual process they might have, if it's on, on the WFM software itself or just using some kind of data science uh, methodologies, uh, what recommendations would you give to optimize the outcomes of forecast? Uh, great. Um, the first one you already mentioned, forecasting is a, it's just an, 
estimation. It's a guess. By by best, it, it, it's going to be a, a good guess, but you, you will never get it right. So accept that you will be wrong. Uh, if you will be 100% accurate, you, you're going to be either just lucky or um, you were wrong or your method was just wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that that's the first point. Accept that it's going to be inaccurate. There is going to be some level of um, error associated with it. The second, I think, important tip is keep it simple. There are so many ways of doing this, uh, but more complicated doesn't mean that the, the result will be more accurate. More complicated mm -hmm. methods usually uh, track the past, but the future, even if it looks like the past, will not necessarily be like the past. Uh, so they, they cause overfitting. That's, that's the term we use in data science. Mm -hmm. So your model will be fitted to the past very well, but the future can be very different from that. It is not going to be able to, to reflect the future. So your forecast will be very far from the, the reality. So this is very common issue with really complicated. There are machine learning models which can use, you can use for forecasting. There are other really complicated methods. Um, so it's better to keep it simple because the usual practice is that the simple ones mm -hmm. are able to just achieve the result that you need. The third point is have as, you know, as many models as possible. Don't have just one because one may not work. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Do you think, picking on that, sorry to interrupt, do you think the model should be adjusted based on what? Because that's a very important topic and I, I wanted to pick that up because one of the biggest mistakes I see, for instance, when I look at most of the softwares out there is that they have one method and they assume every single client needs to fit that method. That's it. But the truth is that you need to adapt. Like Sometimes you get better results with different methods. So oh, how do you select the method? Yes, the, the method that achieved a good accuracy in this month may not achieve the same in the future. That's exactly why you need many choices. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, in, in, in machine learning world, for example, uh, a method which combines the results of many other models is usually the, the, the most accurate one, at least in long term, because you will have basically forecasts from every one of those models, and you, you will be either averaging or using some other statistical methods that kind of matches with all of them to, to, to have some averaged uh, output. We can use similar ways for forecasting. Mm -hmm. um, you will have, let's say, five models, each of which give you some forecast. The best case would be an average of those five. <laughs> so. do, do you, I'm not sure how much you can share, but like, let's say you are practical example. You have like five different models that you are using. Like you said, you'll do the average. Do you kind of com use the models to compete against each other? Like seeing like, okay, which one gets it the best accuracy? And then I'm trying to guess over time, like which ones, like make them compete so I can shape better the future. True. That's, that's also another way. Uh, okay. Instead of combining the results, you, you keep them separate. Then watch in long term, which one of them uh, works best for you. It may not always work for others, mm -hmm. for other models, other scenario, other data set. But if it works for you, uh, in the long term, the observation is not going to be only one month, two months, or even one year. It sh should be long enough to, for you to be able to judge and, you know, continue mm -hmm. with it. Um, but this doesn't, you know, um, mean that it's going to work for all, uh, forever. Right? You may need yeah. to still refine it, fine tune it, uh, maybe combine with other models, maybe even drop it at some point because it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> and that's exactly why, um, I think forecasting is not an easy job. Yeah. 
I, I will give you a tip as well. I think one of the tips I can give from my experience is that most people spend don't spend enough time cleaning up the data, meaning that they, okay, I'm forecasting for, let's say, a specific contact center environment for for phone calls, chat, and email. And I just get in how many emails I get, how many phone calls, okay, give me a number. The truth is that there is a lot of cleanup that you, you should do before. So okay. how important in your opinion is that cleanup? They, they say garbage in, garbage out, right? Exactly yes. that. Your forecast will be as good as your input data. True. Um, and, that, and that's exactly why data collection, data gathering uh, should be given a huge focus in, 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 in any place. Uh, especially now that you know most places try to make their decisions based on data, right? So the collection should be accurate, and then collection is not enough, right? There, there should be cleaning because, um, for example, there are anomalies, things that do not necessarily repeat. They shouldn't go into the model, yeah, and then many more things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and then categorizing events, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think that's true. that's where you're going. I wanted to to our guests, maybe it's a question for everyone that is listening to start thinking now, okay, how am I forecasting? Am I getting that garbage in, garbage out, or am I stopping it to clean up and try to guess a better future? I wanted to touch, I don't know if you do it, but this is something I see that the amount of people that I know that do it, it's very, very limited, which is most people forecast volumes. That's the most common piece because then you have all the planning met methods and that's it, but there are also and I think that it's very important to predict other metrics. I mean, for instance, shrinkage. And I think about absenteeism. Absenteeism is a, you can predict, you can try to forecast what that will be. Same for shrinkage and different types of events because they all exist because of a reason. So, and they have patterns, they have things you can study. I wanted to ask like, um, if, you, if you do it or if you ever did it and what's your take on actually trying to use different uh, machine learning methods to try to, predict as well the future for certain outcomes that are normally outcomes on planning and not necessarily on forecasting? Uh, that's a very important point. Good question, really. Um, you know, if, if you're familiar with this, for example, airline calculator, mm -hmm. um, increasing, for example, the volume by 10% will not affect the output FTE numbers as much as uh, if you if you changed your shrinkage by 10%. Mm -hmm. So sh shrinkage is a more important metric, basically, for your output. So how accurately you forecast, what accurate number you put into your calculation really matters, uh, the output FTE numbers, because th that's that's the point of all, you know, workforce management, right? Having the right number of heads. Uh, yeah. yeah, so um, it's not enough to forecast only the volume. I know what... Uh, Customer centers usually do, or workforce management people usually do. They just average such numbers. They have an average AHT, they have an average shrinkage <laughs> value, they have an average um, SLA value, um, all those inputs that go into the, the calculations, right? And then they focus only the volume, and then the number of heads uh, will be just output of the calculation. But that's, that, that can be uh, as accurate as your average gates, really. So it's very important to forecast those and it follows the same procedure like you, you would forecast the volume. So having proper uh, record of historical data and then using the right model, which mm -hmm. uh, you know can give you a better accuracy when it, when it comes to the forecast for each of them. I, 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 I try do, to do it, but it's also harder than doing with volume because when it comes to volume, you know how to take the records. It's basically the number of contacts that come to you. 
but are you able to take record of AHT every day? That's a hard job. Uh, you will have to use a lot of help. Obviously, some tools, some modern tools can, can give you the AHT per day. But uh, what, what about shrinkage? Um, you will have to take record every day or use a proper tool again, which can, mm-hmm. which can give you such reports. Yeah, I, but maybe I think most part of uh, the reason that people don't do this do is because um, they just rely too much on the averaging. Uh, this is how this is a very very common mistake um, with with you know many many uh, processes. Average is it's not really a good uh, indicator of yeah. uh, location. And I think it's even worse when people do averages of averages and they keep doing thing, metrics like they calculate an average, they use that average to use to calculate another average, which they will use on the final pr- pr- process. And I think that's very, like, basically you are cu- accumulating all the errors you have on each other's step. You are accumulating those and adding those up, either for good or bad, they are there and you cannot run from them. So I think it's True. it's a very important um, note. You, you also said something which which i totally agree with you when you were speaking about for instance the weight that trigger has and you talked about the ht and some tools actually can calculate ht ht when you think about traditional like contact like phone phone i think it's by far the easiest channel to measure because you have every single thing um chat it depends on your approach i think there are some tweaks you have to do but it's fairly easy in the most modern tools I wanted to pick your brains, and I don't know your opinion on this about email, because email kind of these asynchronous channels that you send an email, I will reply, I reply, and because normally an email it's not a conversation. It's like the moment you are writing the email, you actually take time offline to work on other tools, and I call it edit time, not to ending time, average ending time. I think it's the edit time you have while you are edit, but you always have kind of. Let's say if you are a call, you have the wrap up time or old time, so you have your research time associated to HT on email. Uh, based on your experience, like how do you think that, as a recommendation, we should treat that and link time for email? Um, and if you already saw anyone doing that well, and please share with us because I think for everyone listening, this is one of the biggest headaches I had for years. So I don't know how you feel about it. True. Um, if the plan is to get those numbers from your reporting tool, you will always be inaccurate uh, because. Um, it's just not easy to, to know when exactly the, 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 the ticket is being handled, right? Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, I think the best way to do is um, take multiple samples of agents while they are working on it. This way you can be more accurate. Yeah, obviously avoiding things like taking a break in the middle of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, maybe, they, maybe some tool already observed this and are able to identify this particular time when the agent is uh, mm-hmm. editing the, the ticket. Like I know some tools like Zendesk have even a counter when, when you visit um, a ticket, they, the, start, the counter starts and if you change the browser, it changes. But uh, an agent may take more time while being on the browser, right? So this way it, it can distort the numbers. Uh, yeah, but I think the best approach would be uh, a little manual, <laughs> but will be more accurate you just observe, I don't know, mm-hmm. some maybe a large sample of agents while they are solving a ticket and try to try to get the, the, yeah. the best estimate. And you can also, you can also get a better estimate from uh, the count of tickets that agents solve in a day. Mm-hmm. 
of course, um, taking into account other things like unoccupied time, shrinkage, the likes of break and lunch, because you may open a ticket yesterday, but solved today, but that also means that some of the tickets that you open today will be solved tomorrow. Um, but whatever number of tickets that you solve during the day can be a good estimate of your daily count. Uh, if, if you just uh, average that, you can have, uh, I think, a good estimate of the age. Yeah, you kind of reverse the calculation to try to, to calibrate yeah. the number, right? True. Good good advice. And I think to everyone listening, this is this is actually important one. One, one question that I, 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 guess I get this a few times, and I wanted to have your opinion because you, you are actually, you have a master's in data science. I don't, so I think it's an important one. Mm -hmm. So let's say you are forecasting. So when you are forecasting for like a big... Um, like a big project where you have loads of contacts, it's not really easy because you have more volume to learn from. So you can, your mistakes are normally less impactful. When you are doing for a small project where let's say uh, you receive, I don't know, 100 contacts, certain contacts a day, like fluctuations are really high to predict. So what would be your recommendation for anyone that is, is on a small like uh, company or small project that needs to deal with those fluctuations? What would be your recommendation to actually try to help with the better forecast output? Uh, better forecast is a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I think um, making the expectations a little more flexible is the way to go. The, these inaccuracy associated with smaller volumes is just the nature of small volume, right? You, you forecast for volume of two, but the output is one, so you are 50% off already. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't think we can improve that. Um, so it's it's about communication and managing expectations. That, that, that's what I would like to say. Um, okay. Just um, how, how can you get it right all the time? Huh? It's impossible. I would love you, you you to have an answer for this because then you would solve a problem for everyone if you know the, if you know the answer. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, fun. It, it's it's more fun when you have to forecast larger volumes. You could be 500 points off and you'll still be in this 90% or 95% accuracy. <laughs> and your boss will still like you. Because uh, <laughs> you are still within the margin. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I wanted to, since we are talking about this and we spoke about boss, so I wanted to speak about, we touched on communication and I think this is a very important, that relationship we have with the business. And I think there is an important piece between execution. So what happens day to day where we get the volumes and if you look at the execution, but there is another part, let's say, if you are planning for next year or we are planning for what will happen within the next six months, which is more strategy. One thing is to design a strategy forecast where you are looking at, okay, different scenarios and you are guessing more or less to close the right people you probably would need based on those scenarios. The other thing is what happens. And then in execution, the numbers can be rough depending on what happened, like you said, different promotional activities, etc. So I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think that helps in these two worlds? So strategy versus execution. So what helps from a communication perspective in your uh, in your own experience? And what would be your recommendations to, when you look at strategy, how should we look into it? Because it's a guess, like you said, versus when we are looking into execution then we need to act like what what's kind of the difference between those two worlds and um, how do you see that from a relationship with the operations as, as well forecasting should be a continuous process so the, the strategy part of it is that you, you forecast early right this will prepare you for things that you, you can expect th things that you can figure out early 
but then there will always be some new um, new incidents, new change. Maybe something will, will will not work. Maybe there will be a huge difference in business. Whoever um, estimate there will be pandemic somewhere in 2019. Something like this may happen. This can disrupt the whole uh, forecast. But then you should have a reaction strategy. That's exactly why you need to do uh, real forecasting. It should be a continuous process. Of course, we need to have long-term plans, but those, those should be revised every month, maybe even more frequently if it's possible. This this will um, enable you and your team to to, to make reactions, mm-hmm. yeah, according to, to to what happens. Yeah, and this will also improve your forecasting accuracy, right? If you just forecast once and then never revise it, you will be far off. Uh, but if, if you get a chance, sometimes that's not a possibility, uh, especially if you're working with a different client, which is not not, not internal, not your company. Not they, that flexible. <laughs> you like it, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but then there is also a in period in usually I think three months, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but if you're able to revise uh, in, 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 in not real time, but maybe a month earlier, maybe two months earlier, this is an opportunity for you to improve the accuracy. I, I d- didn't understand if you meant in the in application or execution uh, about the making change to the accuracy or applying those, uh, you know, workforce planning yeah. outputs into to, 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 to your customer's support center. Uh, it, it, I think it's just about communicating, you know, convincing your, uh, your operations uh, people to why it's important to make those changes. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I wanted to ask you a more kind of a fun question. Uh, since we are, I mean, we have been speaking for a while, we're getting close to the end. I, I really don't want this to stop because I think I'm really enjoying speaking with you. So there is a lot of different forecasting methods. Like I think even Facebook has their own, Amazon has their own like available uh, algorithms. I know it's hard to answer because it depends on what you want, but like which one that you know is your favorite, which method it's your favorite method so far from the ones you are aware? Uh... I don't know what Facebook has, what Amazon has. Um, I think for me, Arima methods okay. are my favorite. They could be a little too complicated, can also be off sometimes, but they are the best when it comes to tracking the past. And if you are lucky that the future looks like the past, they will be accurate. So they, they are far better than uh, simpler methods like, uh, you know. Linear regressions, uh, exponentials. Uh, this is, yeah, the, 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 which are based on taking the mean one way or the other. They, they are far better than those because they are able to track the past. They, they are able to fit the past. And if, if you're lucky that the, the future also looks like the past, then you will be accurate. Uh, I, I tend to apply those a lot in my, in my models. Uh, and then there are so many types of them that, that based on your model. Um, Arima has three important parts. AR, which is for autoregressive. Mm-hmm. Then there's the integration part, which is I, and then MA for mean reverting. But mm-hmm. like if, if your data set has any one of those components you will add, if it doesn't have, it gets um, a little easier and more simpler model. Uh, but if the, the, the worst case is that it has all three of them, Arima will still handle because it's got all three of them. Yeah, it's prepared uh, for. Yeah. And then I maybe I should mention one more. Uh, there are also models which can handle if you have one more data set which can support uh, your forecast for your independent metric. So, for example, let's say you know 
certain decisions will happen in the future. Um, so this is another variable. It's another independent variable, which let's say influences your dependent volume variable, let's say, which is volume in our case. So you can use this second variable as a regressant to find the output of, uh, I mean, the, the, the future values of your, your dependent variable. So there are models which can handle additional variable like this, which tell a part of the story about the future for your variable. I think I, I wrote a blog about uh, some of these. Um, I was going to exactly mention that you wrote something about this uh, recently, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so I think it's it's very important to include, if possible, a variable which can support the, the, the output forecast. Okay. Tesfun, we are getting very close to the end, um, but I wanted to ask you kind of a, a, a blue sky thinking question. So if there was no limitations, budget whatsoever, time, resources, and you could fix something for the WFM industry, what would it be? If I could fix anything, and if I had all the badges in the world, I think I would automate, I don't know, 90% of the whole process. Because I believe that there's a, a lot of things that can be automated in the process. Uh, and because they are not automated, they cause a lot of um, stress, in the, especially to the agents. Mm -hmm. Imagine, you know, uh, receiving way higher volume than the, the initial estimated. Uh, sometimes because of um, spam issues, things like that, which can easily be um, prevented if you know there is proper automation established. Um, so yeah, if, if we can automate processes like this, I think workforce management industry will be a lot better. There are, I think, efforts already uh, in mm -hmm. doing. Obviously, WFM teams should also should also try to automate a part of their processes. Maybe even um, automate some of the. The, the 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 part of processes that agents and other people in the, in the industry do uh but i think there is a lot more that can be done and if i had all the means uh that's exactly what i would do that's that's, that's great and i think definitely there's a, a, um, a very good amount of exploration being done in automation but there is a lot to be done as well and i think we are just scratching the surface of the potential um, of what we can do so Tesfawn, we are closing to the end. So for me, it was a pleasure to have you here um, in this conversation. Any final words to our listeners? First of all, thank you very much for having me. Uh, this is my very first time having a podcast like this. Um, I'm, I feel very honored to, to be a part of this. Um, my final words is that workforce management is the future uh, and Data science will be, I think, a big part of it. So it's it's going to be very important to learn data science skills because starting from um, data analytics part of workforce management all the way into real-time analysis demands so many, so many skills which are uh, also abundantly available in data science. And I find myself very, very um, lucky to have been a part of data science and also workforce management uh yeah so so go go for it uh learn the skills you don't have to go for a university degree but all the resources available and uh, let's let's uh bring workforce management into data science or maybe the, the other way around so that we can all benefit from it uh yeah that's my message and uh, thank you really for having me it was fun
Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, for everyone listening, please follow us on our platforms. We are on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, as well as Google. Give us a like, give us a review, send any messages, and we are more than happy to listen to your comments and try to adjust our episodes to your wishes. So thank you. It was fun. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to VWFM. This podcast is made and produced by André Leitão, Bilga Hentelun, Doug Carsten, Gonçalo Gomes, and Kim Paz. If you like this show, don't forget to share it with your friends and colleagues. Visit our website, wwfm.com, to find more exclusive interviews and WFM content. See you next time. All rights reserved.